Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. On this Saturday morning, I am joined by Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Good morning, Mary. Oh, good morning, Denny. I think we've turned a corner with winter, yes. but, you know, gardeners, are. this is our study and learn time for gardeners, planning, and, learning, studying. And wishful thinking, yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. All, all right. the above. Yeah, it, it, again, it's early February, so anything can happen. And, and, and although, at least with this week's forecast, Mary, it looks like we can see light at the end of the tunnel and hope it's not an oncoming train, I guess, <laughs> because we have March yet. But, uh, yeah, it is it's it is kind of an exciting time, uh, albeit uh, winter's still hanging on for a while. But if you have any kind of a – by the way, if you're new to the show, thanks for joining us. We're around every Saturday here in the 8 o'clock hour, thanks to uh, good folks like Mary, uh, helping you out with any kind of a lawn or garden question you may have every week, 52 weeks a year here on uh, CCO. If you uh, want to call in your question for Mary, by all means, we'd love to hear your voice. Otherwise, you can send it uh, your question via text. Same number for either, 651-461-9226. Again, 651-461-9226. And again, if you're a regular listener of the show, you know how busy we tend to get. So if you have a question, let's hear from you right away. Well, Mary, what uh, what are you personally doing now with uh, thinking about lawns and gardens uh, in in uh, at your home? Well, I I am doing a lot of planning and thinking about what plants do I want to grow, what different things do I want to look at uh, this time of year, and many gardeners do a lot of classes through the wintertime. And of course, through the Arboretum, we have a lot of classes offered, as well as the Minnesota Horticulture Society. So I was looking at the Arboretum classes. And uh, you know, Denny, we get a lot of questions on pruning, pruning different plants all the time. So the Arboretum is having classes on pruning. And we have a special series on apple tree pruning around the state. Yes, so those of you that are in Duluth or maybe uh, Fergus Falls, etc., look at this schedule for the on the extension website for apple tree pruning because that's going to happen now through March around the state. There are also classes at the Arboretum on site on pruning. And the Horticulture Society has done a lot with seed starting. They have their Minnesota Seed Project, which tells you not only how to collect seed, but how to prepare seed for sowing and then actually sowing the seed and saving seed. So 
If you want to learn about seeds this winter, plenty of time to do that. Want to study up on pruning, really think about uh, taking a class. That sounds great. Great opportunity. Uh, thanks again to the uh, to the Arboretum. Uh, and again, the, you, your website at the U of M, extension.umn.edu, also a great to reference uh, site. Right. For That's all sorts true. of great information. Yes. Now, let's let's talk. I'm pretty much of a novice. I, I did minimal tomato growing last year. Uh, but what I was thinking about doing is, is, is starting stuff from seed this year. I want to try different types of tomatoes. But when, timeline, help me out here, Mary, when, when and how do I do that? Yes, the timeline is really pretty critical. So we really back up from the date you can put the plants outside. And most of the time for most plants, it's six to eight weeks. So unfortunately, we're not quite six to eight weeks away from our frost-free date. But there are other things like onion seed that take quite a long time. So we have a nice schedule of when to start seeds on the extension.umn.edu website. And yes, you you really think about what do I want to grow? And the big reason we grow things from seed is so you get the actual variety that you want. And um, seasoned, experienced gardeners know that variety means everything, especially with something like tomatoes. You can't just say, well, I want to grow a tomato. Any tomato will do because there are hundreds of kinds of tomatoes. So variety is really a key. And the master gardeners at the university have tested vegetables, a few flowers, but mostly vegetables for years. And then they publish what are the most successful varieties for Minnesota. So that, again, is information that's up at extension.umn.edu. Mary, a texter wants to know, must have started people thinking about the, This is a container question about uh, growing uh, plants. didn't say uh, exactly what uh, to, to grow in uh, uh, containers, but they want, and their question is, what kind of soil do I use? Uh, do I use potting soil is one of the questions. Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of different potting soils that are out there, but I like to get lightweight potting soil, so I, I should be able to easily carry the bag of potting soil around. The heavier the bag, the more dense it is and the more it might have uh, less water holding capacity. So nice, lightweight potting soils, you should be easily easy to be able to pick up a bag and put it in a shopping cart uh, to buy. Lightweight potting soil has um, the ability to absorb water and yet have air spaces or oxygen in there. And of course, this time of year, you know, nobody's going to be going out getting soil from their garden. But the garden centers have uh, many different kinds of potting soil. Sometimes they have fertilizer in them. That's actually more the case now. Many of the potting soils have fertilizer in. That's not really a requirement. Um, It's okay. I like the uh, fertilizer in the potting soil for annuals that I grow outside in the summertime. But in the wintertime for our houseplants, it's not critical potting soil for annuals that I grow outside in the summertime. But in the wintertime for our houseplants, it's not critical to have uh, fertilizer in the potting soil. It's kind of a follow-up from another listener on container uh, growing. What should be at the bottom of these containers? What, and I assume well, they mean something to, to keep the water from sitting there. 
Yeah, the most important thing is that there's a drain hole and that the water can actually leave the container. So it, depending on what kind of container you have, you can possibly make drain holes in the bottom or make sure you use a container that has a drain hole and you can set that in another container that maybe doesn't have a decorative container that doesn't have a drainage hole. Yes, and for years we would talk about putting something in the bottom so the water could drain to the bottom. That's not really as critical as just having a hole that the water can come out of. Sometimes if I have a giant container and I don't want to use a whole bag, of big bag of potting soil, I will put something like packing peanuts or squashed up uh, milk jugs in the bottom to take up some volume and then I'll put soil on top of it. But uh, as, and the other thing I would do is I would put something over the hole, maybe like a, um, a coffee filter or a piece of newspaper. Oh yeah, I've so, heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So that the soil itself doesn't keep falling out of the hole in the bottom. So you want water to come out, but you don't want the soil to fall out. That's a good point. All right. Thanks to our listeners for that, those questions. And we have more. If you have, again, any kind of a lawn or garden question, we welcome yours this hour at 651-461-9226. Again, if you want to call and chat with Mary Meyer, by all means, 651-461-9226, or send your question via text. We'll come back after this quick break and pick up on more questions here on our Smart Garden Show on News Talk 830 WCCO. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here on CCO every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to good folks like Mary Meyer from the U of M answering those lawn and garden questions, either by phone or by text, 651-461-9226. We'll get that question answered. And as usual, Mary, we have a bunch of text messages uh, here this morning on the show. And I know we, we've talked about this subject before, but maybe for those that, that may have missed the whole black walnut tree, Texter says, how far away should a vegetable garden be from a black walnut tree? Why are they asking that question? And what's the deal with black walnuts? Yes, black walnuts have a substance called juglone. This is a naturally occurring substance in the plant. It's in the whole plant, the roots, the stem, the seeds, the, the nuts, etc. And that juglone is um, fatal to many other plants. So this is like a way of a plant protecting itself or getting its own territory that it actually has a chemical that will kill other plants. So the answer is really as far as possible, right? So you, tomato plants are extremely sensitive and they will die, grow poorly. They just grow poorly under a black walnut tree. Turf grass, Kentucky bluegrass, etc. they can grow okay. So we do have a list of plants that are tolerant and intolerant. Mostly we have the tolerant plants listed um, in a publication that Master Gardeners and I wrote uh, several years ago. But you, if you search for plants that can grow under a black walnut, that Minnesota, that will probably come up. It's part of the uh, 
the digital library of, of uh, extension publications that are online because we did it a while ago. So um, it, it's, it's a very tough thing. The vegetables seem to be quite susceptible. So um, as far as possible, at least uh, outside of the drip line of the tree. So if you're standing near the black walnut and look up, you don't want to see any branches. You want clear sky above where you're standing, and that's as close as I would put any vegetable. Maria Texter said, though, knowing it's early in the season, but in a home we just moved into last year, uh, we could not get grass to grow underneath our trees. They don't say what kind of trees, but I think that's kind of a typical problem for maybe certain trees. What What do you recommend uh, folks do, like mulch or what What are some options for, for trees? And why is that, by the way? Yes, this is a common uh, issue, especially as trees uh, get bigger and age. They really can outcompete grass. So if you don't do any uh, pruning, limbing them up, uh, maples especially are lindens. Those are uh, uh, blue spruce, etc. Those are really hard plants, difficult plants to have grass grow underneath. So mulch is an option. Uh, there are a lot of woodland wildflowers that will grow in uh, shady conditions and compete with tree roots. Uh, many of our native wildflowers and then things like hosta will grow under there too. There are some ferns that will grow under uh, trees. So if you don't have a need for recreation and a lawn, I would consider um, other plants that are, that are native to woodland situations or a mulch that, um, you know, it, it's the mulches are easy, very easy to put down, um, and that will work. And sometimes you don't have to do the whole thing in mulch or wildflowers, but the worst part of it, the shadiest, uh, most driest part, uh, you can plant with uh, other things than lawn. And in certain circumstances where you do use mulch, I think you and your colleagues have recommended don't don't load the mulch all the way up the tree. Oh, right. Yes, this is this is for sure. Like two inches of mulch is a nice amount of mulch. And then realize that, that what you are doing is you're limiting the amount of oxygen then that the tree is going to get. So most people are really not interested in doing something that's going to harm the tree itself. So yeah, two, three inches at the very most is all you need for the mulch uh, underneath because really things are not growing there as it is. So you just want to make a more or uniform, uh, a nicer look to it. So you don't need a lot of mulch. And yes, around the actual tree trunk, you know, you don't really need that much mulch. If you have a lawn or garden question for Mary Meyer, call or text 651-461-9226. Here's an interesting text. Uh, what is the difference, if any, between fertilizer and plant food? Oh, it sounds like we it's get, the same. We get some good questions, don't we? So, yeah, they are the same. They are really the same. I think, I guess fertilizer would be more of a, a scientific term, and plant food is uh, more of a, a, a common uh, term. But they are the same. They really are the same. Uh, plants um, have certain nutrients, macronutrients that they need a lot of. And they have micronutrients that they don't need so much of. 
And most plants, when they're growing in uh, field soils or our natural soils outside, the mineral soils have a lot of nutrients, and they will have those minor nutrients usually. You get the real sandy soils, you might run up into um, issues when not all nutrients are available. And then when we start intensively growing things in a vegetable garden in the same place year after year or in a container, a limited amount of soil, that's where we really have to think about using supplemental or additional fertilizer because then um, plant food, those nutrients are going to be limiting. There's another question that I've had for you and your colleagues, uh, and I know you've touched on it. And we talked about tomato plants earlier. But a texter wants to know, what's the difference between determinate versus indeterminate tomatoes? I'd like to know that, too. Yes, that's right. That's Yeah, there's so many differences with tomatoes. Uh, determinate, the, the last growing point is a flower, and that stops it growing any taller. So determinate is shorter. Indeterminate, that growing point, is always leaves. So it keeps going forever and forever, up leaves at the top, flowers in the side shoots. But the determinate ones will put out flowers at the end. And, and then, then they could be quite short. So two, three feet is a determinate tomato. Indeterminate are the big, big climbers, and they go on uh, really indefinitely. Uh, commercial growers have indeterminate ones that are, you know, they can be 10 feet tall. They train those. So I think most of the time, indeterminate, you're going to get more tomatoes if you have unlimited space and water resources, etc. But they, the, it varies too with the flavor, the size, the kind of tomato. So they're they're about. I think they're more indeterminate tomatoes than there are determinate, but uh, they're they're great favorites of each. Is there a difference in taste? Between those two? Uh, granted, well, there's different yeah. types of tomatoes. But. Yeah, that still comes down to the different type of tomatoes. You know, yes, I think there's quite a difference in um, in taste. And, yeah, it really depends. Um, I can I can look up some of the uh, – I don't have these memorized, although I know uh, – the sweet 100 or sweet 1000, that is definitely an indeterminate, very small, but very productive cherry tomato. So I pretty much grow that every year. That is a standard, huge bearer, tastes good, uh, red, small red cherry tomato, that sweet 100 or sweet 1000. That's an indeterminate. Uh, determinate, I'm going to have to look up which ones are determinate. But, boys, you're right. The taste of those sweet 100s is, boy, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think that's that's worthy of growing more this year again, like you. <laughs> All right, Mary, hang on. We'll uh, take a break. We're going to look at the, the warm-up forecast here in a moment. And then we have about another half hour of the show to go. So don't miss out if you have any kind of a lawn or, question, a lawn or garden question. By all means, take advantage of uh, Mary's expertise. Call or text 651 461 9226. Right now, it's 8 above zero. We'll have a look at that weather straight ahead here on News Talk 830 WCCO. And a good Saturday morning to you. Welcome back to our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to folks like Mary Meyer from the U of M answering those uh, questions, lawn and garden type, for our CCO listeners. And if you have one of those, 
Call or text Mary at 651-461-9226. Let's see, where did we leave off here? Well, we've got so many text messages as usual. Um, Contain another container question. I want to pick up where we last left off. Uh, How big a container do I need for peppers and tomatoes? For peppers, not so big, but tomatoes, fairly large. So I would say you could, you know, if you, the the rule of thumb is bigger is always better. So you're really trying to figure out what's the minimum size that you need. So I would say two-gallon pot for one or two peppers and if you have a small tomato maybe a two gallon pot but usually three five or even a ten gallon pot is bigger so the the bigger you can do it the better Uh, the other problem with a container if you go small is you have to water every day and even in a big container, when the plant gets big, like the 1st of August and so on, how often it needs water is can really be the limiting factor. So I usually say the bigger, the better. All right, Mary, there's another text about watering. Uh, good morning. This one says, love your show. Uh, if I fill city water in plastic water bottles with caps, do the chemicals escape in 24 hours or should I leave the cap off is the question. If you leave the cap off, the chlorine will escape. So the chlorine uh, vaporizes pretty much within uh, 24 hours. That's all gone. But the other chemicals are not going to evaporate. Uh, they're, they're not going to vaporize. They're, they're going to stay in there. So the issue here is that some of our house plants are very sensitive to fluoride in the water, uh, high salts, etc., salts from water softeners that we use. Um, and so this usually shows up as brown tips on the ends of the foliage or the edge of the foliage. So ideally, you, you, don't, you use water that isn't softened. You let it sit out if it's got city water and the chlorine goes out of it. But this is only really important for our sensitive house plants. So I don't do this. Occasionally, I will let the chlorine dissipate. But um, I, the house plants I'm growing are not real sensitive to the chemicals in the water. So you can get by with it. It really depends on what house plants you're growing. But if you have, uh, let's say, um, reverse osmosis, that's that's really... Good, oh yeah, that's uh, great. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That is definitely a good thing to use um, on sensitive ones. It, it it tends to be the dracaenas, uh, spider plants, ones that have long, narrow foliage. Those tend to be more sensitive, and will show those brown tips on it. Um, you know, I have citrus, and I have a Norfolk Island pine, and some philodendrons. The, they are they are okay with the regular water. Okay. Another text says this. Uh, Hi, Denny and Mary. Enjoy the show. Thank you. I received a waxed amaryllis at Thanksgiving, Texter says. It has sent out two stems with four flowers on each, a beautiful red color. A third stem has started this week. My question, with all of the energy used for the growing, how does it happen without water when it's uh, done growing? (laughs) Should should I remove the wax and put the bulb in soil? (laughs) 
Well, um, it is just amazing, isn't it? That So the wax, so this is actually a bulb with just wax around it. And yes, it is just totally incredible that, look at this. This is like the third stem, I think this listener said. And with flowers on it, well, it's all the stored food in the bulb. It's just the stored food that's in the bulb for as far as water, which is, yeah, that's actually kind of amazing. Now, the stem itself is photosynthesizing and producing some sugars, etc., but it is it is pulling the resources out of that bulb. So if you want to keep it, yes, you definitely want to uh, carefully take the wax off from the outside, Put it in um, a container, and then, uh, yes, then the roots will eventually start to grow, and it'll need to be outside in the summer. We have the uh, year-round care for amaryllis on the Extension uh, website. But, yeah, this is really kind of an incredible thing. Talk about a plant you don't have to worry about, right? (laughs) (laughs) Just watch it, which is so fantastic. A lot of fun with that. The texter wants to know this, Mary. What should a person use to build raised gardens for vegetables that's safe? I don't know. I'm I'm safe from what? Yeah, so this is the safety thing is the treated wood. So different woods have the big preservatives in them. So uh, materials that are used for railroad ties, telephone poles, etc., usually have a big preservative. Uh, in them so that they won't decay and rot. And many times those preservatives can be harmful for plants. So when you're going to uh, a lumber yard or somewhere, wherever you're getting your wood, usually it's wood people are using for raised beds, you just have to make sure that you're using untreated wood. And, of course, this isn't going to last as long, but different materials like cedar will last longer than others. But you basically, the easiest thing is just totally untreated wood or wood that's treated. Usually the copper materials are more safe for plants. But there's such a controversy about this now that the best thing is really untreated wood. By the way, if you're new to the show, uh, again, you you do not have to be a master gardener or a professor emeritus or anything like that as far as <laughs> as far as lawns and gardens, right? We have many beginning uh Oh gardeners. yes, right. Yeah. And are you are you finding Mary in in uh, with your colleagues too that that many people who have uh, been, you know, started maybe learning a little bit about gardening are younger? Is there a, is there a, a, a demographic point where people are skewing younger? Yes, this is really true. Uh, I think there are a lot of people who are interested in growing their own food so they can regulate not only what they eat, but what chemicals have been used on what they're eating. So we see a lot of interest in that. And for houseplants, houseplants are having a huge revival now with a lot of young people taking care of plants. You can find books on being a plant parent, you know, and taking care of your plants as as you would your children or your family or your pets and so on. So there's a lot of interest in this, and it's really great. I think that uh, for people who are indoors more, especially we in Minnesota are indoors, having plants indoors, watching them grow uh, from something as simple as that wax amaryllis 
to more complicated plants like growing a citrus or a Meyer lemon, it's a lot of fun and very rewarding. Well, that is for sure, no matter what level we're talking about here. Uh, Here's our phone number. It also happens to be our text number for your lawn or garden question, 651-461-9226. As you know, Mary, we have all the smart listeners here on CCO, and they they have all these discoveries they like to share once in a while. But here's a good point. You had talked earlier about uh, we talked about what to put in the bottom of containers, and this listener uh, has noticed that he or she, as far as shipping uh, peanuts as a filler, um, they have found that some manufacturers today are advertised and will dissolve in water, a way to dispose of them. So they're thinking that over time, uh, the watering of plants will eliminate those particular fillers. So we appreciate that. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that's a uh, compostable, sounds like a compostable material, which is great. Yeah, Yeah, cool. Absolutely. Thank you for that. Uh, Texter wants to know, when can I start my dahlias in pots inside? Should they be in a dark space to begin with? Uh, I would not put them in a dark space. If you put them inside, boy, it's been a long time since I uh, started a dahlia indoors. But I would say, you know, a month, you know, four to six weeks, uh, they will start to grow. Now, if you do it earlier, they will get bigger and have more leaves on. But dahlias take a long season, our whole season here in Minnesota. And usually the frost will really kill them when they're at their peak. So if you can start them indoors, that's great. And uh, I would no, I would put them in uh, soil and I'd put them in a, a warm location. So heat is important. And, yeah, I'd put them in light right away. Very good. Let's uh, take a quick break, Mary. Maybe when we come back, let's not only grab some more text messages from listeners, but talk a little bit about what's going on at the Arboretum for folks maybe who've yes. never been there, but it's a great place. And uh, we'll talk about that, among other things, when we return with our Smart Garden Show. Not right now in the Twin Cities, uh, it's 8 above. We are heading for a high near 32 here in the Twin Cities. Stay with us on News Talk 830. This is WCCO. And welcome back and a good morning from our Smart Garden Show here every Saturday in the 8 o'clock hour. Thanks to folks like Mary Meyer from the U of M answering those lawn and garden type of questions this morning at 651-461-9226. We'll get back to some of those questions, Mary. But let's talk a little bit about uh, the Arboretum. We'd love to talk about the Arboretum. And if you, if, if listeners have never been there and they hear us talking about it, uh, give us some idea of what you can do there, what you can find there. So much to do at the Arboretum. So we're into February now. So February is the flower show. So there is a flower show. Uh, It's free with admission at the Arboretum. Members, of course, get in free. But the whole month of February, this is indoors. Many different uh, setup scenarios. Beautiful uh, inspiration. The theme of the flower this year is gardening with wildlife. So you'll have ideas for attracting birds, butterflies pollinators, etc. So set up around the Arboretum in the small conservatory that's there, the lobbies, etc. Beautiful thing to do. If you um, 
if you're going on the weekends, there, there are teas on the weekends. There are some evenings after hours with the flowers for special events. But it's, it's basically every day, all day that the Arboretum is open in February. Uh, there's also, what, tomorrow, tomorrow's Sunday, right? There's a yeah. snow, a, a, um, a full moon snow, uh, or snowshoe hike for the full moon, which is the snow moon in February. February's full moon is a snow moon. But from 6 to 9, you go out and do a walk. You can walk at the Arboretum uh, every day. You want to know the trail conditions. They're online every day. The trail conditions are posted. There's snowshoe and ski trails uh, outside uh, for walking as well. So great place to visit. You do need reservations, but there are uh, many reservations that are available on a half-hour basis every day. Easy to register on the website. And then, uh, yes, go to the Arboretum. Yeah, and it makes it, with those reservations, uh, it really makes it a lot easy to park, too, I found. Yes, right. Yeah. Now, how do we get there? Just head west on Highway 5. West on Highway 5, just uh, west of the junction of 41 and 5. So it's in, um, actually, Chaska is the mailing address just beyond uh, Chanhassen. But, Mm -hmm. yes, a great place to get outside. Should be good now this coming week for a good time to go to the flower show as well as to uh, get outside and get some fresh air. Absolutely beautiful, especially looking at this forecast for sure. All right. Let's uh, see who else we can help out here, Mary. Uh, This texter says, I have three ash trees that I have treated every two years. I was told they should be trimmed October to February. Is that right, is the first question. I have branches that need to be removed, and and can they tell which ones need to be removed? They need your advice. Yes. The pruning in the dead of the winter, yes, this is a good time to do that. Uh, the arborist can tell which ones need pruning. They'll be crossing or they'll be rubbing against each other or they'll be at a, a branch angle that is not uh, desirable. So, yes, the winter time, this is a good time to be doing that. I would still say, though, even though you've been treating your ash trees, that's great. That's hopefully, and I'm sure you've uh, extended their life. Uh, we do know the emerald ash borer is very prevalent. It's increasing in the state and planting uh alternate trees, uh, something with diversity, something that you don't have on your property. It's a good thing to think about replacing those trees. This listener, Mary, wants to know your thoughts on using a grow bag for tomato plants. Tell us about that. You could do this. So this is this very similar to, it's a different type of container. It's really a bag, uh, you know, like a plastic bag or um, sometimes a fiber bag, a mesh or woven bag, like a burlap, plastic burlap bag or something. Yes, you can do this. I would just caution you on a couple of things. It still needs to have the drainage holes. So you got to poke holes in the bottom of that. That can be kind of messy, but um, you, you've got to do that. And then the color of the bag. So most of us think about black when we think of a big plastic.
plastic bag. And black is very uh, much heat absorbing. And plant roots cannot tolerate as much extreme temperatures as the top of a plant. So if it's black plastic, you got to think about keeping it cooler. So maybe um, something to shade that if it's black or um, some way that you uh, keep it well watered so the cold water is in there, but some protection if it's really, really a hot location. But yes, you can definitely use a grow bag. Okay, very good. There's a tough question to get answered here. I think I know your answer is going to be, as Susan writes in, uh, do you have any idea of a deer deterrent at the cabin up north? <laughs> yeah, this is this is a hard question. Yeah. Uh, uh, question because deer, depending on how much snow is there, uh, their uh, life cycle, their uh, physical needs, etc., they they can eat anything and they will try anything. We do have a new um, uh, posting on the Yard and Garden News for winter damage, uh, thinking about winter damage from rabbits, deer, etc. There are repellents that work for deer. Those are mostly um, fragrance or taste. So rotten eggs, they hate the taste of that. And some fragrances will actually repel them. But those have to be put on on a regular basis. So we're talking on a weekly basis or really on a regular basis for the repellents. Uh, Exclusion with the fencing is still uh, the best answer. It really is. Yeah, the barriers. Uh, We talk once in a while, certainly a lot, actually, sometimes about the apples. We grow so many apples here, thanks to to the University of Minnesota. But this texter says, I was grocery shopping yesterday, and they were giving out slices of an apple called Evercrisp. It was really good. But uh, is that a Minnesota apple is their question. Do you know that? It's not. Evercrisp, I'd have to look that up. Uh, Because of the the, uh, crisp in there, I would say that probably has some of our Honeycrisp apple genes because the uh, breeders have shared the genes, uh, and we know the genes that make Honeycrisp so crisp. And in Snapdragon, that's New York State's apple, and then Cosmic Crisp is another one. So Washington State and New York State have the other two breeding programs in the United States for apples. But then, of course, our friends in New Zealand and Australia, they have got a lot of wonderful apples, too. But I'm going to have to look up and try Evercrisp. Yeah, interesting. sounds interesting. Yeah. yeah, they said it was really tasty. Uh, I know our time is limited here. Let me ask you this, because we do touch upon this uh, depending on the season. Why is it that we're able to grow such great apples here? Because we have wonderful breeders at the University ah, of Minnesota. That's the yeah, answer. they have. Oh, for and for years and years. I mean, uh, Peter Gideon was here in the eighteen what eighteen eighties and so on, trying out all those apples and just using a crapshoot by throwing any many seeds as many possible different seeds into the soil, and he came up with wealthy, which we use a lot still in the breeding program. It's over many, many years selection of the ones that will tolerate the the cold conditions of Minnesota and then using those um, as parents. So, yeah, <laughs> it's an amazing stuff. program. Yeah. 
I have a honey crisp in the refrigerator, I think, after the show. I, I will, I will slice it <laughs> up. Sounds a good, bit. yes. Yeah. Well, Mary, we're just about out of time. Let's urge folks who maybe have not uh, tried uh, checking out the university website quickly in 20 seconds or so. How do we get to that website? Extension.umn.edu. Click on Yard and Garden. You have there's a search engine. You can put in all sorts of questions. Put in tomato. Put in apple. Put in pruning, and all your questions can be answered there. A wonderful resource. Really is, and get to the arboretum for sure. Just go online and uh, reserve a spot. Mary, always a pleasure. Always lots of fun. Thanks for your expertise, and I hope to to uh, do this again. Oh, we will, Denny. It's always fun to talk about gardening. Absolutely. Thank you, Mary. Have a good week, a good warm-up week. Mary Meyer from the University of Minnesota. Now, get those home improvement questions ready for Andy Lindis. Andy will be along right after the news break in the 9 o'clock hour. So if you want to talk about snow on your roof, you want to talk about attic insulation, you want to talk about leaky windows, or maybe some project that you want to get underway and you want to get some advice from a construction guy, He's your guy. So you can call or text next hour when we uh, begin our home improvement show. Right now in the Twin Cities, we're at 8 above. Uh, mostly cloudy skies high today, near 32. Stay with us on CCO Radio. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles, and Toyota has them, with more coming in. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future in vehicles, and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you, a hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places.